Thank you, Brother James, and welcome to everyone here. We are finishing chapter 13 of the book of Romans today. So that is a that is a great milestone as we finish off chapter 13. Okay, if you are able, please rise for the reading of God's word. We'll be reading Romans 13, beginning in verse 12. Romans 13, beginning in verse 12. The infallible word of the Lord reads as follows. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord of heaven and earth, we come before you this morning to worship you for who you are, to thank you for your grace and your mercy toward us, for giving us Jesus Christ, who is our righteousness to all those who believe. We pray your Holy Spirit may enable us today to understand your word, to be convicted by your word, and to apply your word to our lives so that we indeed may cast off the works of darkness and that we may put on the armor of light. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I've titled today's sermon, very appropriately for the passage, Cast Off Darkness, Put On Christ. The immediate context here, to do a quick recap, Paul has been given instructions of what the conduct what the responsibility, what the accountability of believers is to be. Hence, this closing portion of the book of chapter 13 of the book of Romans can be seen as a exhortation of what is the prerequisite. What do you need in order to be able to fulfill the imperatives that Paul has been giving? which are summed up in love God and love your neighbor. This exhortation began with a verse that we explored last week. Let us remember what that was. Romans 13, 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So the main idea there was, it is time to wake up from being asleep at the proverbial wheel. It is time to wake up now. There are matters of life and death before us. That is, a genuine profession of faith in Christ is a faith that is alert, that is alive, that is active, that is doing a faith that is constantly dormant, constantly sleepish, constantly lazy, can be faith that is not dead because you poke it, you extort it, and it's going to react. It's going to get up. However, there is a type of faith 
that seems maybe dead, maybe alive, we don't know. You poke it, you extort it, you warn it, and nothing happens. My brothers and sisters, my friends, beware. If that is me, if that is you, your faith is dead. You have no faith. And your profession of faith is as good as that of the heathens who are dead in their trespasses and sins on their way to hell. Can a Christian then have sleepy, sluggish, lazy faith? Sure. But if you poke it, if you exhort it, if you warn it, it will wake up. And Paul's exhortation in this closing of, of the 13th chapter is, wake up. The main point we'll extract today is as follows. Put on Christ, put off carnality. We will explore what the Bible means when it says to put on Christ, to put on righteousness, to put on the proper garments. And it is by necessity that when we do that, the filth, the carnality needs to be put off. It needs to be taken off. The three verses we read today of our main passage, we will see how the Christian is to prepare him or herself in order to ensure that you are awake from your sluggish faith. And ultimately, in order to love God and to love neighbor faithfully. That is, how is it that we cast off darkness and we can put on Christ? As often we do, we're going to explore this in three main points. First, we're going to see that we need to come to the light and we need to forsake darkness. Secondly, we're going to see the importance of making no provision for the flesh. And then thirdly, the way we do that and keep that darkness away is because we have put on Christ. All right. So let us look at the first main header. Let's come to the light. Let us forsake darkness. Verse 12 says this. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. If you recall last week. When Paul starts giving this exhortation. About waking up about the day is now here. The day is at hand. It was likened to the language that is used for men who are at war and were resting at night. And the enemy has breached their camp. You don't have time to lay around in bed. You need to get up now. That is the type of urgency we're looking at. Now here in these verses we see one of the instances in which the Bible uses the metaphor of either being in the light or being in the darkness. This understanding of what is the darkness or what is the night is associated with being spiritually blind, being spiritually lost, and ultimately being spiritually dead if you are in darkness. While coming to the light... It is associated with the new birth, with being spiritually alive, with responding to the conviction of the word of God as the Holy Spirit prompts you and convicts you to change. 
For instance, Psalm 119, verse 130 says the following. The unfolding of your words give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Okay, here we see the association of the light that we need in our lives, in our walk, in our daily doings. It does not come from us. Beware of the philosophy or the bumper sticker or the inspirational quote that says, trust in your heart. The Bible, te- the Bible says in Proverbs 28, 26, whoever trusts in his heart, whoever trusts in his mind is a fool. Don't do it. The light that we need does not come from within. It comes from the word of God. It comes from the conviction of the Holy Spirit as the word of God is applied in our lives. It says God's word gives light. Conversely, we see the warning of Proverbs 4.19. It says this. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. So whereas light comes from God, from his word, it benefits us. It directs us. It lets us know where to go. Darkness is self-owned. That does come from within. So again, beware of just trust your heart. Do what you think is best with your own moral human understanding. You will be trusting your darkness. That does come from within your self-direction, which is blindness. There is no light there. Jesus warned us that what happens if those that are blind are leading the blind? Both of them are going to fall into the pit. So then we see what the Bible talks about light. Spiritually speaking, it is not from us. It comes from him. When it talks about darkness, that's something that we owned. That is something that comes from within us by default. So then this first verse, it says that the night is far gone. What this means is that at one time it was dark. It was dark. But that time is far gone. This means you are already late. There's no time to hang out. Because the time is already, you're already late. I recall one time in college when I was studying for one of my chemistry tests I had a test on a Thursday morning at 8 a.m. I had been studying not only for chemistry but for other classes and I went to bed at about 4.30 a.m. I woke up at 10 a.m. that morning. The time for me to make it to the test, it's far gone. It's already late. I missed the boat. So it is with the exhortation that Paul is giving us. The night, the time to be in darkness is past. Think of it this way. It is no longer 12 midnight. It is now 12 noon. Get up. You are already late. Spiritually speaking, church, hear me on this. There was a time when you were in the dark. There was a time when you were an enemy of God. There was a time when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That time, my brothers and sisters, has passed. Let us not act as if we are still in that darkness. My friends, for some of you, if you are not 
walking in the light, whether your faith is sluggish, sleepy faith, or whether you have no faith at all in Christ, you are in darkness. There's no doubt about it. You are in darkness. And the time for you as well is to wake up now. For the Christian, we were once spiritually dead in unbelief. But in another sense, for the non-Christian, you are in darkness. You are in spiritual futility. The urgency then that is being communicated, the day is at hand. Not only is it approaching, we are there now. That's the timeline that we're in. Because of that, the Apostle Paul tells us to cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now, those two words that we see in our translations here that says cast off, that means to throw away. That means to remove. This speaks of an intentional action in space and time. It implies that the works of darkness is something that is already on you. And it is not going to take itself off of you. Rather, it is something that you need to get a hold of, take off, and throw away. Think of it like a harness that is holding you tight, preventing you from moving. In order for you to move, in order for you to walk, you need to unbuckle that harness, take it off, and throw it out of the way so that you can proceed. As this is done, something needs to take place so that the shackles of darkness that were once holding you, the shackles of laziness, of indifference, are put away, and now you put on the armor of light. Now the armor of light here is speaking to grab hold of a tool. Not any tool, but a tool that is used for war. This is language of someone who puts on this gear because if you don't put that on, you will die. Casting off the works of darkness doesn't mean that now you stay there. In practical terms, it doesn't mean, well, I'm kind of doing a little bit better now. So, you know, I kind of stopped doing a few bad things, so I'm good now. No. The Bible tells us that if we do that and we don't put on Christ, it'll be far worse later because that that you have emptied will come and be filled. The Lord Jesus says with demons. So beware of that. You need to put off and put on. So then one of the first questions for us today my brother and sister, have you put on the armor needed to fight the spiritual fight that you're on right now? Not whether you're going to be in a, you're on a fight right now. For we fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. We fight against the prince of evil and his demons. We are on a daily fight. The scripture talks about Grabbing a hold of the weapons of righteousness with both hands. Second Corinthians talks about that. So this again is language of very intentional putting off, putting on, and being ready because there's a fight going on. And you're already late to that fight. The armor of light is also seen as being the armor of God. There's a lot of similarity there. It's described in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11. It says this. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
So then, since the night and the times of darkness are gone, the Christian is now to grab a hold of what is needed in order to be in the light, in order to fight the spiritual fight, which is the everyday fight of every believer. If you don't think you're in a spiritual fight, you are already losing. Now, here's some hope that we can have as we cast off darkness, as we put on Christ. In Matthew chapter 4, when speaking of how Jesus went to stay at Capernaum, he ministered to the people there. He showed them mercy. He showed himself to them. He preached to them. And Matthew there quotes from the book of Isaiah chapter 9, which he says is a fulfillment that the prophet Isaiah told of what would happen when the Lord Jesus would show himself and expose himself and preach to the people. This is what it says. Matthew 4, 16, which is a quote from Isaiah chapter 9. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. How marvelous, my brothers and sisters, that the Lord Jesus has revealed himself to us. And us that are often captured by evil deeds of darkness, by falling in a particular sin, we have this hope. That Christ has shown his light on us. This is applicable to us. We know who the Lord Jesus is. We know what he has done for us. We know that he's faithful. We know that he has been faithful to us. The light has dawned on his people. Oh, how we see here the mercy of God. Jesus Christ himself coming to a people dwelling in darkness. Notice it doesn't say, came to those who were kind of doing all right and trying their best. No. He came to those that were in complete darkness. And by the way, after that passage where Matthew quotes Isaiah saying that Jesus has now shown his light in his people, the first words that Jesus tells that people is, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because Christ loves us, the first words he tells us are the same, my brothers and sisters. Repent. That is the light that he gives us. Which fits with the theme of that same urgent call that the Apostle Paul is dealing here in this passage. Lead us to the second man header. To make no provision for the flesh. Here we read in verse 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. And then for now, we're going to come back to the first portion of verse 14. So let us read the second half. It says, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So then we have the instruction here. Remember, what is the main idea we're extracting? Casting off the works of darkness, putting on righteousness, putting on Christ. Okay. What are some of those work, works of darkness? What are some of those sins that I must put off? Well, the Bible uses a language here that talks of 
feasting in a very sinful manner that talks of basically worshiping other things as you should be worshiping the only God. And it warns us of several things. First, it warns us of idolatry. Certain type of sinful feasting involving all kinds of debauchery. Ultimately, the worship of idols. We are warned against that in Jonah 2.8. It says this. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. God does not share his glory. We cannot serve and worship idols and still say that we worship Christ. And then the warning in Judges 10, 14, which is related to this, if we are worshiping idols, it says this, go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in the time of your distress. Now, we may pause here and say, wait a minute, well, you know, I don't bow before images. I don't, I don't do that stuff. I'm, I'm aware that God is the only true God and, and I only believe in Christ. You know, and I don't believe in statues and, uh, and all that uh, Santeria kind of stuff. My brothers and sisters, let us be reminded that just because the Bible talks of idolatry and gives examples of idolatry in a very tangible fashion... It does not mean that those are the only idols. Let me suggest to you that we have come to be very sophisticated with the idols that we make for ourselves. That is, whatever it is that we put as a priority before God is your idol. Think about it. What are our priorities in our life? Fill in the blank. Whatever you're thinking, yes, that, that is your idol. Can you go and cry out to that idol when you're in distress? Has that idol delivered you? Never. And yet Christ has shown his light on you and saved you. So repent from that. The next category of sin that is mentioned here is sexual sin. Hebrews 13:4 says the following, let marriage be held in high honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So what does this mean? The long and short of it is this. Any sexual activity outside of the bounds of marriage is sexual immorality. In today's culture, especially with all the chaos and controversies and corruptions that are going on with the sexual revolution of our times, it is true that we should fight and we should stand for righteousness against those evil ideologies. Absolutely. However, we're not exempt from sexual sin if we are sinning outside of the boundaries of marriage that God has set in place, one man, one woman in the covenant of marriage for a lifetime. If any of our sexual activities are taking place 
anywhere outside of that, you are sexually immoral. That is the second category that this passage mentions. Cast that off. Cut it off. You are already late. The time is now. The next category this mentions is... I thought of a phrase, vices of carnal consumption. The explicit, the explicit example it gives us here is drunkenness. And I can say, well, you know, I, yeah, I don't drink, so that's not an issue for me. I don't get drunk. Okay. But this category, nevertheless, includes vices of carnal consumption. That is any drug that gets you high. And you may say, well, I don't, I don't do drugs. My brothers and sisters, this includes gluttony. You eat more than you should and you're wasting away your body. Now we're hitting it close to home, right? Myself included. Vices of carnal consumption that we look to, that we rest upon to get relief, to get a high Ultimately, looking for the rest that we need in Christ. But we don't want Christ. We want to hold on to our sin. So let us put off the vices of carnal consumption. The next category, anger, quarreling. Let's remember what the book of James in chapter 1, verse 10 says, I don't have it in the notes, but it's essentially this. Remember, the next time you throw a fit, for whatever reason, the scripture says that the anger of men does not, will not, cannot accomplish the righteousness of God, the justice of God. This is a reminder for me. Next time somebody cuts me off, and I would not want my thoughts or even my words to be displayed on the screen, that anger will not accomplish the justice, the righteousness of God. Next time you get upset at your husband, at your wife, at your kids, and you respond in anger, you need to cast that off. That is a work of darkness. Next category, covetousness, jealousy. Somebody has something that I want. Somebody has something that I deserve. They don't deserve it. Oh, how I wish I would have something better. Hmm. Colossians 3, verses 5 and 6 says this. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So these two verses actually sum up what the Apostle Paul is talking here in our main passage. And it wraps it up with the fact that covetousness is idolatry. And on the account of these sins, it says that the, the wrath of God is coming. My brothers and sisters, let us, not, let us not forget that as we talk about putting, casting off these works of darkness... The ultimate wage you will get paid for that is death. Is death. 
If we live an unrepentant lifestyle, not casting on this sense of covetousness, of idolatry, of sexual immorality, of carnal consumption. If you never respond and wake up when you're being poked, when you're being exhorted, when you're being rebuked, you will prove to have dead faith and your wage will be death, not only physical, but spiritual. We then see the next portion of that verse that says to make no provision for the flesh. Now, in this immediate context, what does that mean? Those vices, those sins we just mentioned. How is it that when we know that we have a weakness and I have many. When we know that we have a weakness for the flesh. For Satan, for the world to influence us. Oftentimes, I don't close the door, although I leave it a, uh, right there. Is that not true? Don't we leave that door open for temptation? The moment we think we are going to be okay, leaving that opportunity, leaving that provision for us to fall. What we're really doing is saying, it's okay, I'll, I'll sin at least once more and then I'll repent again. My brothers and sisters, if that's us, we are of sleepy faith. We are of indifferent faith. The scripture tells us to flee sexual morality. First Corinthians 10 verse 12 says the following. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands, take heed. Lest, what? He falls. The moment we think that we're going to be okay with just a little bit of temptation at the door or thinking that certain temptation, certain sin is not a big issue in my life anymore, that's when we should be most watchful. So then what does this mean? Making no provision. My brothers and sisters, be wise in planning your life. Do not voluntarily go and walk up to the slaughter. Be real with yourself. Don't trust yourself in the areas that you are weak. If I have issues with drinking, it's not a good idea to hang out with my drunkard buddies at the bar. It's not going to work. If I have issues with lust, it might not be the best idea to set up shop in a tent at the beach looking to folks that are half naked. If I have issues with smoking the devil's grass, I have no business hanging out with potheads. If I have issues wasting away my life in social media, I cannot keep those stupid apps on my phone. You're wasting your life. Make no provision for the flesh. The wages of sin is death. And the time to wake up from that is yesterday. The best next time, right now. And then we are exhorted to then do what? As we cast off those works of darkness. Put on Christ. Put on Christ. 
Let us look at the verses again. Romans 13, the first part of verse 14, which I told you would come back to. What does it say? But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does the Bible mean when it speaks of taking off, putting on? This is a metaphor that in fact is one of actually wearing an outfit, literally wearing an outfit. That's the metaphor that is given. For this, let us be reminded of the parable that our Lord Jesus told in Matthew chapter 22, where it was a parable of a king who threw a feast for his son's wedding. We are told there that the king sent out his servants so that they could invite people to the banquet. When the servants went out, essentially everyone that was invited made excuses. Not that they couldn't come, they didn't want to come. What ends up happening? Not only they reject the invitation of the king, but they actually kill the servants that the king sent to invite them to the party, to the banquet. This is symbolic of the people of Israel rejecting their Messiah, rejecting the feast that God had prepared for them. The parable goes on to say that the king then told his servants to go and invite anybody. Just invite everybody. It doesn't matter who they are, good or bad. Now, here's the important thing about this parable. In that cultural context, when the patriarch, in this case, the king, invites people to his banquet, he gives them a garment. Like they have to wear this garment in order to come in. Wearing that garment would show that they were specifically invited. It would show that they honor and respect the wedding and ultimately the king that is putting off that feast. They respect and they revere him who invited them, who is at a much higher position than they are. And not wearing that garment means either that they were not invited and they snuck in, or that they were invited but that they decided to wear their own clothes, essentially telling the king, I have better clothes than the ones you're giving me. I'm okay. By doing that, they are given a proverbial slap to the face of the king. Now, going back to the parable, what happened when everyone was invited they receive their garments. They are now at the feast. And the king comes out to check out the guests. Let us read Matthew 22 verses 11 through 13. It says this. But when the king came in to look at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how would you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him, hand and foot, and cast him into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This 
my friend, speaks of the kingdom of God in this way. When God extends an invitation to come to the wedding feast of his son, that is, when God has the gospel preached, inviting you to trust in Christ as your savior, he is giving you a garment of righteousness for you to wear so that you can come to his feast. My friend, if you do not have that garment on the day of judgment, when you come before the Lord and he asks you, where is your righteousness? The words of this parable will be true for you. You will be speechless. You will have no excuse of, well, you know, I had questions or I don't know, you know, the, the church or there are, it doesn't matter. You will be speechless and you will be, you will be cast out into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The garment that we are handed is none other than the righteousness of Christ. Think of it as taking off your filthy, stained, stinky garments, which even includes your good, your good deeds, because the Bible tells us that our good works are as filthy rags to God. Putting that off and putting on the white as snow garment that God gives us, which represents the perfection of Jesus Christ. Anyone attempting to come to God without that perfectly clean garment, without putting on that righteousness of Christ on them, will by no means be allowed to stay. By no means. That is what it means to put on Christ, to put on righteousness. The Bible talks about this over and over and over. In Galatians 3.27, it says this, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ... Have put on Christ. Ephesians 4.24 And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And this is even a theme in the Old Testament. It talks about putting on righteousness which does not come from self. It is given by God. Job 29, 14, it says this. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. My brothers and sisters, as sharp as these warnings and exhortations are, let us take heart. Let us be comforted by knowing that even when we have failed and we come to God over and over and over for forgiveness, he will not cast you out then. But if we think that we are okay, we don't come to him for forgiveness. We don't repent. And on that day of judgment, we come before him with our own, with your own garment. You will be cast off. You will be thrown into the lake of fire. How marvelous it is, as we read in Matthew chapter 4, that the light of Christ has shone on us. That he has given us, given us the light to those of us that were in darkness. And now that we have that light, we have a great responsibility to live accordingly. So then, what are some final thoughts here? What are some reflections let us reiterate, number one, the time was yesterday. And we're already late. So the time is now. 
The time is now to awake from sleepy faith. The time is now to come to the light. The time is now to be born again and forsake darkness. To knock it off with that one sin you've been making provisions for. You're leaving that door just cracked enough for you to keep an eye on it. And need keeping an eye on you and it coming and biting your hand off. Knock it off. As a dear brother of mine put it, when we think of what we are leaving open, and we're making that provision, whatever that sin is for you, yes, the one you're thinking of right now, cut it off. Close that door. Shut it off. The gospel is the light that has been given to us. Stop hiding in the darkness, in the darkness of indifference, in the darkness of sin, in the darkness of laziness. Wake up. The time is now. Secondly, you may be reluctant to come to the light. What may be some reasons we're not coming to the light? Those could be disguised as intellectual reasons. You know, I have many questions about the Bible. I'm not sure. Nope. That's an excuse. It could be disguised as self-righteousness. This could be religious or not religious. No, I'm, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. But your fruit is dark. Your fruit is rotten. You have nothing to show for it. Or it could be non-religious reasons. No, you know, I'm okay. You know, your little Christian thing is good for you, but I'm fine. Nope. The Bible gives us the real reason why we don't go to the light. And it's very blunt when it tells us that. In the third chapter of John, it tells us this. That light has come into the world. But the world rejects that light. Why? Here it is. Because we, because you, prefer darkness rather than the light. It will not come to the light. Because then your sins will be exposed. You'll have to renounce your sins. But you love your sins so much that you will not come to the light. That is the real reason. That is the bottom line of why we suppress God's truth in his word. Where we look away from the conviction of sin. Because we, at our default state, love darkness. That is the real reason why you don't come to the light. So the call here is. Leave that behind. Come to the light. Repent. Thirdly, inevitable question. What garments are you wearing today, spiritually speaking? To apply this metaphor to ourselves today. In essence, could you show up to a black tie gala event in your PJs? Sure, you could. But you're going to be denied entrance. This very day before God, you are wearing one of two garments. You are either wearing one that is absolutely filthy and acceptable. That is your self-righteousness, your indifference toward Christ. Your laziness and your faith. That is your sin. You're either wearing that garment or... You're wearing the white garment, which is the perfection of Christ that has been given to you by grace through faith in what Christ has done for you. That perfect life that he lived that you couldn't live. That death that he died in your place that you deserved. 
in the power of that resurrection of Christ in your life. That is the white garment that is the perfection of Christ being applied to you. If you have faith in Christ by grace through faith, it reflects in your obedience, in your sanctification. You could point to fruit in your life to say, by God's grace, I am wearing that white robe. My brother, my sister, but is there little to no fruit for you to show in that? Be warned. Because you might still have your filthy garments on. Let us pray to God then that he would grant us mercy, that he would give us the righteousness of Christ. That we will repent of wanting to come to God in our own terms, with our own filthiness, with our half-hearted sanctification efforts, which are really no efforts at all. There's no diligence there. It's just wallowing in our sin, in constant disobedience. Let us cry out to God that He may grant us true repentance of the forgiveness of our sins so that the words of Christ would apply to us. Now go and sin no more by putting on His righteousness and casting off the works of darkness. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we plead with you this morning to grant us repentance, O Lord, that we may indeed put on Christ and cast off the works of darkness, that we would repent from sin, that we would look to Christ, to His goodness, to His mercy, to His holiness, to His perfection, and tell Him to grant us to put that on us by faith, and that as we do, that we would have fruit in our lives that indeed points to the fact that by His grace, we have put on His righteousness. We pray all these things and that the Holy Spirit may grant us that white garment this very day. In the name of Jesus. Amen.